everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, it's Kat, and I'm going to welcome you to this episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Kat. Hey, everyone. How are you? We have a rider with us today, Matt. Yes, we do. That's exciting, isn't it? Does that mean we love riders? Well, you know, being riders ourselves, I mean, you know, I think it uh, is something near and dear to our heart. It's like the mothership, you know? It's like our people when we right. have riders or something yes well um this one in particular um Natalie perkins is going to be with us today very fascinating because um you know not only does she write books um she has had one of those made into a movie yeah that that's a pretty interesting uh development for sure um I wish that we could do that. <laughs> yeah, um, because, I, you know, I think a lot of of stories um, and even of the things that we've written, you know, are, are things that would play out well on the big screen. Because, you know, not every book um, would, would make a good movie, right? I mean... Yeah, I'm sure there's some out there that wouldn't. Um... You know, some of them might be difficult to turn into a movie. I mean, they'd have to be, like, some, especially some of the things that we've written would probably need to be, you know, added to or whatever. Because we write a lot of plays, and, you know, sometimes you need to add a lot of color and, you know, the tree is green kind of thing. Yeah, you have some really good descriptions about the green tree. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> <coughs> yeah, we were just talking about that last night, I think. Yeah, and, and you know, I thought that you had come up with a really good way to describe green. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, it's because I'm not really big into description, like I skip right over that when I'm reading a book and get right to the dialogue because it, I don't care what color the tree, I don't care about any of that detailed stuff. Yeah, but I mean, don't you think you miss some things if you don't read it? Um, well, having not read it, I don't know if I'm missing it or not. But, <laughs> but I you mean... know, I'm sure the author would be glad if I read every word and was like, oh, that is the most beautiful description of a forest i've ever well, read i mean not that but i mean there might be something that happens in the story that isn't happening or you wouldn't know because it's not dialogue and if you're skipping like all the you know everything except dialogue then you might miss something don't you think um i, I mean you would probably miss something but yeah, i don't think you're missing like the big things um okay and well. I, that's just how my mind works like i don't have the attention span to like stay in there for the little stuff okay well i mean you know to each his own 
well, you know, I, I know that you read and you like to read um, lots more than I do. So um, when you're, you know, books that you've read and then you've seen the movie version, you know, what's your take on that? Like, do you prefer the book? Because I've heard, you know, both sides of this are people that prefer the book or people that prefer the movie version. Um, I would say that generally it's 50-50. Um, I've read some really good books and the movies that were horrible. And I've read, you know, I've seen some really good movies and the book was like, meh. So... I would say it's probably 50-50 for me. Well, I do think it could go either way, as you're saying, because, um, you know, making a story, even if it's based on, if it's a true story and the movie is based on the true story, you know, the movie still um, is a more or less fiction because, you know, you you have to sometimes uh, make some changes to make things more, um, yeah, of you course. Know, uh, like you've got to get, you've got to hold the attention of the, you know, the the viewer of the movie, and, and so you may have to like take some artistic license with that. And I think that's okay, um, because you know it's not a documentary where supposedly things would be, you know, factual, documented um, as as facts, but. Um, so like the outsiders, I'm going to use that because, um, this was one of the poll questions that we had about, you know, young adult literature and, um, we had several listed and to see what was the favorite, but the the outsiders is an outstanding book. Um, Essie Hinton uh, wrote that and that is a female writer. And, you know, yay, because this is International Women's, um, you know, day was this week. And so I'm so happy that we are celebrating women. Um, But, you know, I I felt like the book was great. And then the movie was also great. Um, There's so many talented actors that were just starting out. They weren't really um, famous at that time. And then to look back on it and be like, how did they ever get all of that talent into one movie? Yeah, see, for me, I think the book was better. Yeah. Did you not like the actors or like? I I, I guess I just, I don't know. I read the book like two or three times, I think. And I just like the story. And I don't think the... um, I don't think the movie did it justice, I guess. Wow. And see, you know, I I, I think they're both, like, were great. Um, I loved the movie, and I, I watched it, like, a bunch of times. And I also did read the book. Um, you know, I have to say, like, a lot of it I read because I taught that book. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, I would read the same books. And, and maybe that's another thing with reading is, like, you know, uh, when you teach a certain like grade level and you teach the same book for like five classes a day for you know how many ever years I mean you know yeah uh, you get to you get to know it a, a bit yeah uh, Romeo and Juliet you know that was a play but then it, it was made into a modern day version there is 
um, you know, there's an older version too that's like more true. But um, the modern day version had like Mercutio is like a drag queen and like, you know, they had guns and like all kinds of things that did not exist. So, you know, in that way, um, that was a totally like to me mind blowing. It just didn't work for me. Um, yeah, they definitely took a lot of artistic license in that one. Yeah, and you know, you still mess with Shakespeare like that. I, I don't know. <laughs> it just didn't right. work for me. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I I I think I'm very curious to hear, you know, how she felt about um her book Rickshaw Girl, um, and how did she feel about the movie version? Like after watching that, so. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I'm curious what what work of ours do you would you like to see made into a movie? Well, uh, of course, you know I would say Unstoppable, um, be, because that's the story of your life, and um, you know I, I I'd be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but beside of that. Besides that, I mean, it's a really, like, I could see it as kind of like the, the blind side. Um, you know, it's an inspirational um, life that you had. And so I think of the things that we've written, um, that has the, the most potential to actually um, play out as a good movie. I, I feel like um, it has enough drama and comedy and inspiration that it would be perfect yeah i i guess i could see that but i, I think like uh love and jello would be good oh my gosh i always see it as a tv series because i want that to like be continuing yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but yes i mean it definitely is beautiful too um, there's a lot a of a lot of good characters in there really good characters um and you know it's ongoing like there's so much revealed that's why i think a series would be better for it and um you know there's just we we've had like a lot of fun writing things together and um you know i I think we we've done uh, really well and You've started a heart-shaped box, and that's Oh, awesome. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a good one, I think. And that would be a really good movie. Um, I can never before. finish the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> you will. Yeah, um, yeah, I will. Finish, but, you know, it, it does definitely have, um, you know, that potential. And then, I mean, may I have your attention, please, which is my play, um, you know, I definitely can see that being played out as a movie. Um, yeah, that'd be a good one, for sure. And Gorilla Girl. Oh, I'd love to see Gorilla Girl. Rick Cosnett, if you were listening, <laughs> <laughs> I'd so see you in that. Um, so I would definitely, if I had anything to do with the casting. But just another question, you know, I would like to ask Natalia if she, um, you know, did she have any input into casting? And, you know, me, um, it would be hard to like turn over control wouldn't it in a way and just be like okay let's take unstoppable which is the story of your life so if somebody wanted to make that into the movie you know like who plays you and who plays the different characters um 
it would be hard to just turn that over and be like, okay, you know, let's hope that they, you know, choose somebody that's like, yeah, you know, yeah, I don't know who, I don't know who it would be to play me, probably. Uh, I mean, so you'd have to be at different ages because you know the play goes through your different stages of of life. So, um, you know, you would have to have several different actors playing you. Maybe we could have, like, a narrator, like, uh, the Wonder Years. You could have, but, you know, I just think, like, different maps, because, you know, you've, um, you've had different looks over the years, and so I (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And also, you know, like, for, just to make it, like, realistically time-wise, you know, when you're going back to, you know, like, the marriage with Kelly, and so everything would have to be like you know a, like a costumes and yeah you know, different version of that me existed would have to be like time specific to to that period yeah. so I, I definitely think it would be more effective just to have different actors playing you yeah but i mean like just uh, as in like me now i don't know who i would want Oh, yeah, I mean, because it's hard to be, like, who's so handsome out there, you oh, know? Lord. <laughs> yeah. good place, but, <laughs> I mean, there's probably somebody, but... Sure. You can send your photos in the backstory sessions, and we'll, like, you know... <laughs> yeah. Who would you want to see play Matt in the movie? <laughs> That's right. I mean... Well, anyway, let's uh, talk to Metalli and find out all about Rickshaw Girl and how all that came to be and uh, what else she's got going on. Yes, this is so exciting. I can't wait to hear what she says. Metalli Perkins, I want to welcome you to Backstory Sessions. We're so excited to have you as our guest today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, we um, do some writing ourselves, and so Uh we really love and appreciate writers. Um, And when did you begin? So where, you know, where does the first writing, like, how old are you? Oh, I'm seven or eight, and I'm sitting out on the fire escape in Flushing, Queens, as a new immigrant, and I have a little diary that my dad bought me with a lock on it so my mom can't snoop. <laughs> and I'm writing little, little poems and stories out there with my library books and my sweet tart candies. And nobody knows I'm out there. Probably shouldn't be out there, but I'm out there uh, because you need to be alone. And so I started writing early. I, I started reading and writing um, and finding joy in that very early on. And so you um, did you grow up then in Queens or um, where were you before that? Yeah, I was born in India. Um, my parents immigrated when I was seven, and uh, um, we moved first to Flushing, Queens, and lived there, kind of the welcome mat of America, I think, still to this day, and uh, found my way to the Flushing Public Library, I think, two weeks after we arrived, and uh, went every week and got those beautiful stories. Um, so by the time we moved to California, when I was 11 years old and in seventh grade, it was the middle of the school year. And we moved, you know, Flushing is very diverse, and we moved to a sort of all-born-in-the-USA school. And uh, I walked in, and everyone thought I was from another planet. And <laughs> um, 
it was it was quite a shock, but I think it's because I had read so many stories that I sort of held my head high and decided, hey, this is my hero's journey, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. And um, so I think the the power of stories to strengthen children and to give them um, sort of courage for their own journey is something I've always experienced myself as well as hope to give through my stories. Um, so did you speak English well when you came here? Um... Yeah, we lived in London for a little while and India, you know, is a British colony. So um, people most mostly educated, educated people mostly speak English and their mother tongue. Mine is Bengali and also Hindi, the national language of India. But we left India when I was a baby, and um, we moved to Cameroon and Ghana and Africa and, and London, but we were always educated in British schools until we came to the United States. So when I arrived at 7 at Flushing, Queens at PS24, I had this little British accent, and um, you know I was, I was reading quite, quite early because that's what you do in England. You, you start reading much earlier than here. And so I, they skipped skip me up a grade, and... Um, and said, uh, I, I think you'll be better in this grade. And so I, I didn't know what was going on. I just went with it and ended up being quite quite a bit younger. So at 11, when I was in seventh grade, when we moved uh, to California, which didn't serve me well because I was very t- small and puny and quite quite um, targeted by anyone who wanted to bully. I was quite I had, a, I had a target marker on me. But as I said, I held firm thanks to those stories. <laughs> Um, so who were, uh, or what were some of your favorite books at, uh, mm-hmm. early on? Yeah, I, I actually wrote a book of nonfiction about some of my favorite books. It's called Steeped in Stories. It's timeless children's novels to refresh our tired souls. It just came out last year. It's about seven of those novels that I, re- I found in the public library that I read, and I still reread to this day. In fact, I'm rereading one of them right now, again, because it's starting to be spring, here in California, and at spring, you have to read The Secret Garden because mm. that is a story of springtime. And so um, I read seasonally these favorite books, and so that book, Steeped in Stories, took a look at seven of, of those books that I fell in love with when I was a child, still read as an adult, and um, some of the things, I, some of the beautiful virtues that I got a uh, uh, window into from the stories, like Little Women and The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, several other stories are covered in that book. So, uh, but the problem with those books is that when you read them now, there are parts of them that are very outdated, right? And not, and here I was, this little brown immigrant girl reading uh, Little Women on that fire escape, and I found myself very much mirrored in that story, even though I was Bengali, and Joe March is, a, you know, growing up in Concord, Massachusetts in the late 19th century and but i felt like she was my best friend Hmm. and so yeah i I definitely found the connections and 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 discovered the power of a child reader being in control over the story so i think people now worry about stories they think oh this is going to harm a child reader but in steeped in stories i kind of make the case that when a child has many many stories a child becomes really a powerful agent of her own story so that's my thesis in that book so when you're being the reader and you're making these connections, um, are you also connecting as a writer? I know you said that you had your diary mm-hmm. and you were writing poems and, you know, probably your personal thoughts and feelings. Um, uh, but were you connecting as someone who might be later on writing a, a novel or a book? 
Absolutely not, because, you know, when you come as an immigrant and your parents sacrifice a lot and they push you to good schools, we, we went to really top colleges, three of us, my sister Sonali and my sister Rupali and myself Mitali, um, all three of us were uh, given a great education. And so you don't, you know, saunter into your parents' room and say, hey, guys, I think I want to <laughs> write books for children. I think this will be a great career for me. Uh, so, I, you know, there are three career options for us, three girls. We could be an engineer, we could be a doctor, or we could be an engineer. And that's pretty much <laughs> it. Like, there was no other option. So this this writing thing came uh, out of out of the blue, really. It came, um, it started as a hobby. I wrote secretly, and then I wrote, uh, entered a contest and won a contest, and my first novel got published, and I thought, oh, this will be a fun hobby. But it wasn't until my second novel um, was finished and began to be sent out to publishers and began to get rejected and rejected and revised and rejected and revised and rejected um, that I I really honed in on this as a possible career because I kept going back and revising it. And I think it was 23 publishers that rejected that second novel, and it didn't really it didn't come out till. 12 years after my first book. Um, and so it was in that time period where I thought, I want this. I, I'm designed for this. This is what I was put on a planet to do. Mm. And I, when the second book came out, I thought, you know, I'm going to be all in. I'm just going to go for it. And, uh, and that's when I had that conversation with my parents. Thankfully, by then I was married, so they, they couldn't say much. But eventually, of course, they be, they were so proud, especially with this one, Rickshaw Girl, which I think was my fifth novel, um, which is set in the villages of their ancestry, places where a place where they came from. And um, the father in the story is very much like my father. So I, that was his favorite novel of mine, hmm. was Rickshaw Girl. So they're, they're really proud now, but, um, but uh, it took a while. <laughs> um, so were you going to be the lawyer or the engineer? <laughs> no, I don't know what I, I think secretly I always wanted to do something. I think we traveled so much and we had seen so many poor countries. And when you read stories like I don't know if either of you have read A Little Princess, not seen the movie, but read the book. But I read that book when I was nine years old and there's a scene in that book where she encounters somebody who's really hungry and um she, the main character actually ends up giving away some of her food. And I remember as a nine-year-old thinking, how can there be hungry children in the world? How I, I'm not going to live my whole life with hungry children in the world. So I went, you know, when I went to college, I studied political science and public policy, and I was going to, you know, make sure there were no hungry children in the world by the time I died. You know, you have those big dreams when you're twenty-something. You're like, I'm yeah. going to change the world. Yeah. And right. so, uh, but that, but during those years of rejection, I started realizing how powerful stories are to shape a child's heart how mine have been shaped, and how if you can write stories about courage or about, um, uh, you know, caring for other people who are different than you or uh, just about families who are strong in love, how it can really bolster children for the, the hard knocks that they did, it did for me. So that's when I realized stories could also be a work of justice. And I kind of laid down those. Um, but a lot of my books have themes of justice in them, like Rickshaw Girl, which is about you know, microcredit and in Bangladesh, um, small scale loans for girls that help them start their businesses and help them turn their lives around. Essentially, the book's about that. But it's, of course, about a girl who wants to help her family and um, a girl that hopefully young readers will cheer for.
Well, you said that you um, like your writing to make people laugh or cry or both. Um, yeah. Why is that important to you? That's a really good, that's the first time anyone's asked me that question and I've done a lot of interviews. So thank you for that question. I like that question. <laughs> yeah, that is an important question to me because our culture of origin and maybe even particularly my Baba, my father, is no longer on earth, he could make us laugh. Oh, wow, did we laugh growing up. And he could cry. He cried easily. I remember, you know, I'd, I'd, he'd call me from college crying, and I'd say, Dad, what happened? Something, something happened to Mom. He's like, no, I just saw a commercial of a daddy and a daughter, and, and I'm calling you to say I love you. You know, like he was very mushy. He was totally a mush. And uh, uh, that that kind of heart, I think, is something that I grew up with, and he was a great storyteller too. And so, but I think the ability to make people laugh and to make people to move people in a way. And when you laugh and when you cry, you become your true self. You there's no more. There's something that happens to a person when you're connected through laughter or tears. There's a real authenticity that that in that transaction. And now that my mom is my, when my dad got really really old, so old that he really lost a lot of cognitive ability. I used to just hope that I could make him laugh and every time I, I went over there I would just just try to laugh with him once and we always connected with laughter till his very last day on earth so I, I know there's something kind of mysterious about laughter and tears that I that I love and so to have a reader respond with either of those emotions it, it forms a relationship across the story and and that's why I love it well that's that's very interesting and uh, Matt I I know, like, you make me laugh a lot, so I can definitely appreciate what she's talking about with the laughter and cry connection. Um, you know, in your writing, how have you felt uh, of incorporating the two, Matt? I mean, I, I just like to make people laugh or, you know, like, I, there's a lot of things that I find funny, and, you know, I just write from the... I write the things that I would like to read, I guess, and uh, mm. you know, there's so much, there's so much pain in the world and things like that. Um, I just kind of like to make people laugh and feel better about, you know, feel good and whatever. Um, and a story is an escape, uh, you know, uh, mm. so. It helps people, like, forget about things for a little bit and stuff. So that's kind of where all that comes from. Yeah. We're very different that way. Uh, yeah, Cat likes to kill people off in her stories. <laughs> I love reading that, too. That's, that's, that's a fun kind of read. <laughs> so um, have you always wanted to write for young adults? Has that been your target audience, or did that just... Is that just naturally where your storytelling fits in? Yeah, you, what you're talking about, what you guys, but well, I didn't hear more about your writing, Kate. But what Matt was just talking about was his voice, right? His his natural voice is one that you know is is kind of full of joy and laughter, and that that's going to come through in his stories. And you know, if, and I, so I think that voice is really it's something you can't teach. It's I think every writer has a voice, and uh, mine is set. I've written everything from picture books all the way up to, you know, nonfiction for adults. Um, but it's that sweet spot maybe around um, 12 to 15 that I like because that's when a hero's journey gets interesting to me. It's like every 
almost every human being at that point has to face some kind of obstacle and your parents can't help you the way they did when you were little. Mm. And so I, I find that a really interesting time in a, in a, in a journey, in a life's journey. And I think my voice is just, I, I don't know. I had, I write about crushes and, you know, like first crush. <laughs> I just, I, I had a lot of crushes. What am I going to do? <laughs> I, Lots I, to draw on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little romance, but I don't have to write steamy scenes because my mom's still alive. So I don't have to write scenes at all. <laughs> Embarrassed. I can write happy endings, you know, with novels uh, for teens. You can, you can end up with a happy story and the critics won't lacerate you the way they will with adult novels. So there's a, and I like happy endings. So, um, so all that is good for me. It fits me. Well, so from the time that you, you had the first, you won the contest and had that novel published and then, you know, it was many years later, um, and many rewrites, um, for the second one, um, then how long is it till the third one? Yeah, after that, it uh, I got an agent, a literary agent after that. Um, actually, I got the literary agent with the second one after a lot of rejections. I finally secured an agent. And um, and then things started opening up uh, for me in the career um, bit by bit. I think I had an, I've had a novel every two years, at least since then. And that was a long time ago. So, um, so I'm grateful for my agent. She's been with me for what, 25 years. So uh, we've worked together, Laura Renner, and she's just a champion of my work and um, has is a great agent. So I'm, I know a lot of people jump around their agents, and and Laura and I have just grown up together, and it's been a really wonderful working relationship as well as a friendship. So I, I've, I'll, I'd give her credit for my for the career now, the the way that it, doors have opened for me. Well, and I'm sure that's definitely um, made the process a bit more easy to navigate uh, with having the agent to uh, to be there and sort of, you know, get you in the places that you need to be. And um, and I think it's really cool that you've, that you've had one agent to work with her that long because I think, I don't know, you would just... Um, like develop um, a familiarity, I guess, with each yes. other, and, mm-hmm. and it would just be comfortable to. Uh, where do you have it? Do you do you have an agent? I, I don't. We we actually write plays, and oh, um, yeah. So uh, that's that's a whole different of, process. Yeah. Yeah. Cat yeah. Cat has uh, what three plays published now. I think. Wow. But we've written, um, I don't know, we have probably 20, 30 or so. We did write oh, a book. Amazing. We did write a book. Um, it's out. Uh, we have two more that are in process um, and ideas for like 80 more, I think. So. Wow. Well, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a significant body of work. I, I um, when I wrote Rickshaw Girl, um, years later, uh, the Bay Area Children's Theater, uh, contacted me to adapt it into a stage play and um i of course i said yes so but it had been so long since i'd written the novel we went to the play and um it was a playwright who wrote this the script she did a beautiful job and my mom and i were in the theater and there's a part in the story where the rickshaw she crashes the rickshaw Mm -hmm. and i don't know if you know a rickshaw is like a little pedicab attached to a bike she's trying to drive it and she crashes it, and my mom and I are in the theater, and we both gasp, and we say, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? And then we look at each other, and then my mom says, you wrote the book, you wrote the book. And I, had, 
totally <laughs> forgotten. I was so enmeshed in the playwright's skillful work that I forgot that I wrote the book. So, so I think it's a different genre. But so, I mean, do you adapt books or do you write original? Uh, original work? stuff. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. It, even when it was adapted, it felt so fresh because it's such a different genre, and people are embodying the characters. You know, you have these bodies that are actually carrying around the story, so it felt quite. 3D, you know, yeah, like 5D yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. It's strange. Uh, well, what was... Go ahead, Kat. Uh, what was the experience like of, you know, did it stay pretty true to the way you had written it on stage? Did it play out? Um, I know it's like a bit more difficult to stage, you know, things that, uh, whereas when you're writing like in a prose, you can... You know, it's like easier to have people falling off cliffs or, you know, doing all these things. <laughs> and it might I be can see you're, you're a very plot, plot-oriented plot writer. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, my characters are all sitting around having tea and just talking. So <laughs> easier to stage. But, yeah, no, it was the stage version was very much like the book, very much. They, they introduced some music and some dancing, you know, which is typical of, I think, Indian um, which had added such beauty, but they stayed really true to the story, the three acts, and the um, the whole. The, but the movie was very different. When they adapted the movie, they made it, it was it's almost a, it's same character and same place, but the plot's pretty different in the in the movie. Yeah, so I was going to ask about that. Um, how much um, you know control or input did you have, if any? Um, into the screenplay and how that was going to turn out in the movie. Well, yeah, you have to backtrack a little bit. When this book came out, it, it also was rejected probably 12 times for wow. Girl. And, uh, and the way that it actually got published was that my second book, Monsoon Summer, had come out, and I was at an American Library Association convention doing a signing which you get, I don't know if playwrights do that, do signings, but these signings can be very miserable. And that one was particularly miserable because they put me in between two really famous writers. <laughs> and so I had the, I had no one at, coming to me. And those two guys had these long lines, you know, on either side of me waiting for their autographs. And I just was sitting there and I thought, well, I'll just work on my manuscript. So I pulled out Rickshaw Girl and I began working on it. And then this lovely woman left the line next to me and came over and said, hey, what, you know, I see you sitting here. What are you working on? And I told her about Rickshaw Girl, about a girl who wants to help her family. It's set in Bangladesh where girls can't really work outside the home. And she kind of got intrigued and she said, you know, I'm an editor. Why don't you send me the book? And so I did. And sure enough, that's how the book got published. And um, and then and then it didn't really sell well. It sold kind of badly. But then, bit by bit by bit, it started reaching audiences. It got translated, I think, into some Asian languages. And, you know, it's a book about duty and honor and helping your family. So it really resonated with Japanese audiences and Chinese and Indian audiences. And then here, you know, it's just it's just become a steady kind of a, a seller that's been amazing to watch because it started out so slow. But it's it's kept on selling, kept on finding audiences and, and then the stage play, and then now the movie. So when they, when the uh, producer came to me and said, we want to option the, the book, I thought, what is he talking about, this little <laughs> book? I mean, I, 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 I just thought, okay, whatever. So I just signed this con- and, you know, he's, he's a friend of my agent, so we all kind of know each other. And uh, he said, you know, I have no idea if I'll be able to raise the money for this, so let's just sign like a 
sort of a friendly contract and just kind of exchange like a minimum amount to make it legal. I think we signed it for a dollar because <laughs> none of us thought, none of us dreamed that the money could be raised and the movie could be made. But sure enough, Eric and his wife Kathleen, they have such a passion for crossing borders and stories and, and helping emerging filmmakers in other countries. So they traveled to Bangladesh and they found this brilliant director, Amitav Reza Choudhury, great actors, incredible screenwriters, all Bangladeshi, all Muslim, and just found investors and they made it happen. And I had no creative control at all. And I was just thrilled because the book was getting more and more authentic and more and more um, owned by the people the story is about. And uh, I just it just watched in amazement as the collaboration moved forward. So I had no didn't have a word to say about it creatively except for wow you guys <laughs> good job this is amazing that was all i had i was i mean i was the first audience and a very appreciative one <laughs> well you know it's so interesting to me like in the backstory of that like if you had had um you know like several people there waiting for autographs maybe it never even would have found the publisher you know well, that's it. I, I was feel like, I don't know about you guys, but the writing career is often like that. It's like these really low moments that you think, this is humiliating. Why am I in this career? <laughs> and then when you trace your own journey back as an author, it's sort of like those moments were pretty defining. If you if you were, if you were able to stay there, I remember thinking, I should just go. This is mortifying. I should just go. But instead, <laughs> I pulled out the manuscript and thought, well, this is free time. To, I was, you know, mom of young kids then. I thought, Got some time to work on this. And, I, you know, you make those small choices to commit to your work. And in the long, long run of a career, those choices do pay off, I, I would say. I think looking back over the long run of my my long climb of a career, which has <laughs> taken lots of blows, yeah. But here I am, still still writing. My 20th book for kids is coming out in July, and I'm, I'm so grateful that I'm still standing. Wow. So is, is Rickshaw Girl based on, like, where did you get the inspiration for mm -hmm. the story? Well, my parents both, as I said, grew up in Bangladeshi villages. And then at, at partition, when the Brits, you know, when Mahatma Gandhi led India to independence, it was divided into two countries. And that was when my parents fled as refugees to India um, because they weren't, they weren't, um, and Bangladesh became, was Pakistan. It kind of was divided by religion at the time. And so, um, my parents went to the India side and started a whole new life from scratch. And then, you know, they had, like I said, we immigrated to America. We, we had, they had us. I decided to become a writer. I read, a, I lived in Bangladesh for three years as an adult, working on some development pro projects. And so I thought this rickshaw thing is amazing. The, the way they paint the rickshaw is so beautiful. Rickshaw art, and it's it's so like part of that culture. And and then this struggle for girls to get economic power. I thought, I want to write a story about that. Um, and also because girls are very undervalued in the in that culture for traditionally. Not, not so much anymore, but it's changing slowly. But, you know, I was the third daughter born. And when I was born, they were so wanting a boy. And, um, you know, when I was born, they said, another girl. And everybody was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Except, except, you know, my wonderful Baba, my dad, who said, um, nope, this, this daughter is as good as a son and she's going to be a blessing to the whole family and he always said that he never stopped saying that so that thread is also in the book because there's two girls and the rickshaw driver doesn't have a son and everyone's telling him if you had a son 
your son could take over the rickshaw and help you, uh, but you have these daughters, and, and the father in the story says, no, 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 a daughter is as good as a son, and my daughters will be a blessing. And sure enough, the story is about how the daughter is a blessing to the whole family, becomes a blessing. So it's through her art. And so in that sense, it's kind of about me, but it's also about these girls that I got to meet and know in Bangladesh and really root for them to try to get gain some economic power. Wow. I, um, you know, I, I think that is very powerful uh, and speaks very well to like how you're able to take stories and make a difference. Um, it, oh, thank you. Does it make, um, does Rickshaw Girl, does it make the audience laugh and cry? Um, the book, I think, maybe has a heartstring moment or two. Um, maybe not so much, la- it's not my funniest book, but there's maybe some humor in it. Yeah, there's a little bit of humor in it. But the movie, yes, for sure. You will laugh and you will cry. And um, it has become a very rich story, a rich coming of age. She's older in the movie than in my book. Um, and she goes to the big city, uh, which my character didn't do. And um, she has all kinds of adventures and she takes all kinds of risks and faces some dangerous situations in the movie. Um, so, yes, you root for her all throughout. It's a beautiful, colorful movie. And you root for her art, especially as an artist. You know, when you think, here's this person in, in a impoverished place and she wants to be an artist so the tension there is pretty high you know like how is she going to use her art how is she going to have to give up her art to make her other dream come true of helping her family and how's that going to all work out so i think the tensions become really high you cheer for her and then when she meets some pretty tough challenges you will there's one scene i think you would be a very hard-hearted person if you didn't at least shed one little get a little for clamped a little (laughs) choked up (laughs) All right. I'd I'd, I'd worry about you. I would worry about you in that scene. (laughs) All right. Well, we we will watch that, and I'll be watching you, Matt, to see. Yeah. Um, The actress that played the rickshaw girl. uh, What was her reaction to this part? Um, It it was tricky because you know she's Bangladeshi and she's but she's Canadian, so her English is really really perfect. Like. Um, and, and her Bengali is perfect too. So the creative decision of whether to film the whole thing in Bengali and have subtitles, or to film it in English and then dub it back to Bengali, that was a tough decision for the producer and director. And they really wanted to offer it to um, to be an offering from Bangladesh to other countries because they've never really exported a film before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they decided to make it in English. And so she was perfect because she not only is she a great little painter. She also is, uh, you know, really fully bilingual. And so she was able to master the part and the emotions of the part in both languages very beautifully. Uh, I think she has a very bright future ahead. She just finished her master's in um, filmmaking or something in London. And she really wants to become a producer-director herself. So she's well on the way. I think she really understands film. And um, she acted her heart out in that movie. She just... She just went all in, and it's really it's a it's a phenomenal reviews, you know, have been really pretty good, but when you know maybe some of them have some things that they didn't understand about the film, or but they it universally will claim her performance. She just gave it her all. Novera Raman is her name, and she just we did a panel together, and and we were sitting next to each other. She's so pretty and 
she's tiny, small, and she's pretty. And I kept looking over at her and thinking, I made you up out of my head. You're my character. <laughs> and I remember, no, 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 she's a real human being. And she looks, she looks so much like how I'd imagined the character to be that I kept thinking she, I had, I was dreaming her. I was <laughs> dreaming her up in my head. Yeah. That's funny. So, it, did your mom, was she able to watch the um, premiere of the movie with you? or? Yes, it premiered at the Mill Valley Film Festival here in the Bay Area last fall. And um, so my husband went, you know, he's like, this is the once-in-a-lifetime career thing. So my, my nephews and my sisters flew in, and my sons were there, my mom. He says, "We're I'm going to hire a limo. So he booked a limousine, came to our house, and we all... My mom sat next to me in the back, and we all decked out in our full, you know, Bangladeshi outfits. And it was—I thought it was going to be something just, you know, kind of sweet and small. Which, because the movie's sort of that. It's just, the story from beginning to end is sort of a sweet and small endeavor. It's very homespun. And so my husband said, "You better, you know, wear your nice heels because there's going to be some paparazzi at the theater." And I said, <laughs> "What are you talking about? No, there's not." And so the, he pulled up. We pulled up in this limo, this white stretch limo, and I, you know, I literally stepped out and and you know, flash of bulbs of photos and questions, and because the Bangladeshi community is so excited about this movie. Wow. And there's a lot of Bangladeshis here in the Bay Area, and so they sent all their media to cover this this uh, this premiere and. And so there, my mom and I, my, I brought my mom out. She was in her full shari, you know, her sari, and looking gorgeous and crying and laughing. And she stood next to me for all the interviews. You know, she's 88 now and um, just so proud. And just, we, we missed Dad, missed Baba, but felt his presence nonetheless. So it was really fun. And I'm so glad we splurged on the limo because it really is a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> event. <laughs> Didn't want to pull yeah. up in the minivan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you thought of your dad. Um, you know, did they leave the line in there about, you know, or, you know, it's good to have a daughter and she's going to make the world go ahead and, you know, like that part of it. Did it um, remind you of your dad in the movie, or were you just kind of lost in the whole plot of it? Well, the, no, the daughter and the dad relationship is really sweet in the film, and. Amitav Reza Choudhury, who's the director, he actually flew out here while the movie was being made, and we had lunch together. It was right after my dad had died, and he still had his dad at that time because this movie took years to make. And then he too lost his father, and so he put his the and I was talking about my dad and how he supported my work and how proud he was of me as an as a writer and um and so he put in that theme of a dad who's really proud of his daughter's art and. And there's one line where the dad says, "Never stop drawing, Naima. Never stop your. Never stop making your art." And and I think that resonated for the director because he had his father's blessing in his art, and I had my father's blessing in my art. And so the fact that the father gave her the blessing in the movie really sustains her through the movie. So that part of it was very consistent and and beautiful for me to see um, uh, in the movie. Really carried forward. Yeah. Mm. So if you um, if you could give um, listeners only the opportunity to read the book or watch the movie, um, which would you suggest? <laughs> oh no, this is a Sophie's Choice moment. This is one of those <laughs> terrible moments. I, oh no, which child do I save? Which child do I save? <laughs> 
I guess I would say the, the movie, because if you fall in love with the movie, then and you have a child who's like eight or nine, you're going to read them the book, right? And right. Um, so I think the movie's great for family night. It's probably PG, and you know, it's just a way to introduce your your whole family to um, another a country that's far away, but with such universal themes about art and the struggle to help your family and the and what do you do when you're an artist and you want to and yet you know you want to help you want to make money you know how are you going to make that happen and <laughs> and and then the whole idea of gender i think is really interesting because here in the united states it's kind of a cultural moment where gender is it's really about identity in in our culture here but in in a lot of culture gender is, is also about economic power right mm-hmm. and in the movie and the both the movie and the book she decides to dress up as a boy and um, so it's a chance to talk to, to kids about the fact that about gender also being related to economic power and how it was true in America, still is true in the United States, and, and yet is more much of a greater issue in many parts of the world. When you're a girl and you don't have economic power, it's a hard, hard life. And so um, so that that's another thing that's interesting when the, cult, the culture in Bangladesh is approaches that idea from an economic point of view, not so much an identity point of view. And that's an interesting discussion as a family around, you know, the dinner table after you watch the movie. So I would say start with the movie and then get the book and <laughs> save both children. Grab both children and put them both on the train. <laughs> don't, don't leave one. Don't leave one behind. <laughs> All right, Matt, what do you think? Well, I was uh, so listening to your story. You, you had said um, your choices to were to become a engineer or a doctor, and you have two older sisters, I believe you said. Yes. Uh-huh. And which which way did they go? I mean, I, I was just curious. <laughs> right. Well, one's a teacher, which is just an amazing teacher, and uh, the other, uh, we all went to to really great colleges, I have to say, right. thanks to my parents. The other did, did get her Harvard MBA and became um, a finance person, but she, she worked in public service um, public and for government. Okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we all, I think we're all raised to think about how to, how to be, how to give back. And my dad was an engineer also, and engineering is a way to give back as well. So, um, so none of us became engineers, but my, my nephew, who's my dad's grandson is a civil engineer just like his grandpa and is <laughs> loving loving being his uh, his grandpa taking his grandpa's legacy of serving the world through engineering so that's a good thing to see yeah um and uh so what's next for you i mean i know you said you have a book coming out in july any more movies yeah. in the works or <laughs> Um, let's, you know, that's something that you absolutely have no control over. <laughs> sure? I, I wish I could say yes. Yeah. So I have seven of my books that have been optioned and they're all becoming movies and I have to, I have to get more outfits, more glamorous outfits for the premiere. <laughs> In fact, I have to go shopping right now. Right, so goodbye, right. you two. Do you know yeah, a no, good no. limo it's, company? <laughs> Yeah, really, that can keep that limo company. I'd like to keep that limo company in business, actually. But uh, no, as you know, it's such a miracle to have one of your stories uh, made into a movie in this yeah. in this crazy world of entertainment. Um, but uh, I'm just writing. I think that's what we, like I'm still doing what I did at that table all those years ago. I'm taking out that next manuscript, and I'm just pouring my heart into the next story because really at the end of the day, that's all we have control over, right? We don't even have control over how it, our work will be received, how it will be cr- criticized, how – whether or not it'll even last beyond us, See, we don't. But we do have control over making the next story, right? right? And that's 
that's all we can do. And so I'm really focused on craft. And um, Kate, you'll, you'll be glad to hear that um, I'm I'm actually, oops, sorry, my, that is my mother calling. No. Or, or, <laughs> that is my mom's, her, her call is the only call I have set to break through my, my airplane mode. So, um, so I think that, uh, you know, when you're writing the next story, I'm working now, Kate, you'll be happy to know, on plot. I'm, I'm reading a lot of books on tension and trying to make it much more page turning and to focus, you know, because I'm, I'm good with character and I'm good with place. But so I'm really working on my craft and it's fun. It's so fun to see yourself improve after all this time to think I can get better. And I think that's where the joy comes from is when you're getting better in your craft and you're playing and you're just enjoying the the actual work. Otherwise, it's a hard it's a hard career yeah. if you're not enjoying the work. Yeah. <laughs> how many uh, how many books are you working on at the same time? Do you typically do one at a time, or do you you know do you have multiple things going on at the same time? I can only do one at a time. Actually, I'm working on a mystery right now, Kate. So I'm working on a, a, a mystery set in the village of India back in the days of the Raj with a missing golden necklace. Ah. And I'm learning about mystery because it's such a hard thing to do, you know, to not give away too much, but get, get, lay clues down. It's really complicated. Yeah. So I'm climbing the learning curve on a good mystery. and then, um, But I can only work on that one at a time. In the raw, like, first draft version. But I am working on last week's for... You know, picture book that's coming out in December and last tweaks of this novel that's coming out in July. So, you know, there's different processes, but that raw first draft, it's only one at a time for me. Mm. I don't know, but how about you guys? Are you working on different things at the same same time? Well, uh, our, you know, there's been uh, a few different things going on recently. I recently just moved back to Pennsylvania from Kentucky. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, I'm getting set here and, uh, we have the podcast, which is going, you know, pretty well. Um, writing wise, uh, we've sort of slowed down on that a little bit, but, uh, I hope to get back into it once I get settled here. Um, Good. You know. yeah, it takes a while. Whenever you move, it, it, it's, it takes a while to get yeah. a new normal yeah. going. Yeah. And the job is, you know, it's, uh takes up a lot of my time so yeah <laughs> that darn job that really? pays the bills <laughs> yeah, gosh <laughs> if it weren't for that <laughs> yeah if it weren't for having to eat i could <laughs> right. really get a lot of writing done <laughs> i was curious about your writing process um do you so when you, the idea comes to you do you have in your mind or on do you plot out like this is, uh, you know, the beginning. This is going to be a climax. This is how it's going to end. Uh, or do you start and then the characters kind of take over and have their own direction? Or how does it work for you? I used to be much more structured, I think. And I read, I don't know if you've read Madeline Langle's, anything by Madeline Langle, but she wrote a book called Walking on Water. And it's about uh, her process of art. And she talks about that mystery of letting go of a of a story and um, letting seeing kind of be, let it be messy. And so, in the first stages of the writing, I've been trying to let it be a little bit more open to the characters going crazy and doing really crazy things. <laughs> but I I do know that I I always I think of it as a braid of three things. Like there's there's people for me, and then there's place, and then there's plot. And I. I know that people, my characters, just they are very easy for me. I, I love my characters, and they come almost, you know, fully human in the mind. 
and the place I love a place a good sense of place is really important to me in fiction um, but then the plot part um, once the mess of the first draft is out there and boy is it a mess I read <laughs> I mean I know you guys have read Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott and what she says about first drafts but she talks about you know really bad first drafts and I mine are just even worse than really bad I can't even there's an, she uses an expletive and I would have to use a worse expletive. So, but I think because I was rejected so many times that second novel and I revised it, I'm pretty confident in my revision. So once the first messy draft is out there, I that's the hardest part for me. And then I can start to put the structure in. I've been reading a lot of screenwriting books, and um, you know, Save the Cat um, writes writes a novel is helpful with structure and scenes. I write more with scenes now. So I'm, I'm playing around with plotting and structure, but I still like to, the first draft is always a big vomit pile. <laughs> <laughs> and then something beautiful comes from that. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's some magic that happens in that. You know, because used to, I used to think I had control over the story, but you don't. The reader, the person sitting in the theater of your plays is going to get something out of that play that you couldn't even have dreamed of, right? Because... The the story that you created belongs to the reader as much as it, to the to the receiver of the play, as it does to you, the playwright. And so that's that's the mystery of the art, right? You have to let go and let whatever let the art sort of move in whatever direction it wants to go. And that's hard because we have our egos on the line. But you know that's the way it is. Yeah, that's I, the nature of it. Yeah, I tend to write like with without and. I mean, I, I have a vague idea of how things are going to go, but, like, when I start writing, it just kind of goes, and then it takes twists and turns, and, mm-hmm. you know, when we wrote, when I wrote the uh, book that we have, um, I would write a chapter or two and send it to Kat, and, you know, she'd be like, oh, my God, I didn't expect that to happen. And <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys really collaborate. So you're used to collaborating because you work together. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of... That's that's a really good process, just to let go for a little while and let another person take it. That's it's a good discipline. Yeah, I, you know, like when I when I started that writing process, I had never written anything before, and uh, she, I guess she just thought it was really good, and uh, it, she encouraged me to continue. So I did that, and then she would give me little tips here and there, and um, you know about dialogue or oh, you forgot to like tie that end up or whatever and uh oh, yeah it was all good no, that is that's really helpful and i think that that the fact that you guys work together is also like takes away some of the pride of it and it's also it's humbling because you're getting each other's feedback through the whole thing yeah and that i think is that thing serves the work when you let go of your ego and are willing to say hey this didn't tie together you guys are used to that because you collaborate yeah yeah it, it's, it's been working out pretty well for the last five years or so so <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't killed well, me off yet in any of her plays <laughs> or books so <laughs> yeah um, you know it's a new year that's uh, true yeah <laughs> you may not make it till the end <laughs> there could be a plot twist ahead for you that's true yeah <laughs> all right cat you got to one more question yeah, I, I just wanted to ask like in, in closing because i know our time is running out but um you know, what do you hope that the moviegoer takes away from Rickshaw Girl? Right. I think whenever you cross a border that, you know, all the way to another country, another culture, they're Bangladeshi Muslims. There's lots of borders that the viewer 
is going to cross. But if they can imagine life in Naina's shoes or lack of shoes, really, she wears sandals most of the movie, um, and just appreciate her as an artist and make that connection as a, a young woman who wants to help her family, I think they'll leave uh, that being being a little bit more a little transformed because they've they've gone traveled so far and they've made this friend who they're cheering for and rooting for and they've met her family and they've lived her life and they've been in her city and faced her challenges that when they come back to the United States they'll f always feel like they have a friend in Bangladesh you know that will bring that that culture and closer to them and I think the movie will do that is a fabulous way for them to do that which is why I recommended the movie uh, for them to kind of travel there without and really dwell there in that in because it was created by Bangladeshi Muslims it's very it's very deeply authentic and I think they will leave as if they've made a good friend so that's what I hope awesome well it's certainly I've enjoyed our conversation today um you know it's fascinating your your whole backstory and then how you incorporate that into your own writing um and then it gets made into a, a um, play and then also a movie. Uh, you know, that's just all very interesting. And um, so glad that uh, we could have you as a guest today. Well, yeah, thank you so much. And thanks for your great questions. It was really fun. The time just flew by. So I appreciate it. Yeah, it was uh, certainly uh, very interesting. Um, and we hope to have you back if you will. Oh, I'd, anytime. I'd would love it. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, again, we want to thank you for coming by. And, uh, you know, um, we hope to hear more from you in the future. And uh, Yeah, thank you. And if, the, if your listeners want to find the movie, they can go to rickshawgirlmovie.com and uh, find out streaming on Apple TV and Amazon and several other platforms so they can find out more at that website. Thank you, and then I had bon voyage on your back to back to life in Pennsylvania. And I hope this, <laughs> this beautiful, so I hope this beautiful collaboration continues across the across the mile. Oh yeah, so. it, it will. <laughs> I hope he comes back to Kentucky. Yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, I can hear that you weren't excited about. You didn't say a word when he was talking about Pennsylvania. <laughs> you were very silent. <laughs> uh, well, we shall see where this plot leads. I'll keep an eye on it. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, you guys. I enjoyed it. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to cat at iwriteplays at outlook.com, or you can write to me at backstorysessions at gmail.com or matt at level11ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.